when people are not in the right seats, they usually know they're not in the right seats. Okay. Oh. It's our job to basically cultivate that out of them for them to say, I'm not in the right seat. I want to be moved. I want to be here versus there. So that's how we usually do it. It's pretty rare that we go in and say, Poof, that person is not good and out without them almost articulating where they want to land. And that includes, by the way, the founders and leaders. Let's just be clear. They might be in a position too, just like that operator, that doesn't fit them. They just don't know how to get to the next step. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And we went north this week, ladies and gentlemen. We found Jen Goldman, and she is the business transformer. Jen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm with you. It can't get any better right now. So, all right, I'm looking at this word business transformer. I'm like, as the listeners are, like, what is that? And where did it come from? What's going on? Who, what is a business transformer? How'd you get that nickname? Yeah, no, it's from like the robot that the kids play with. No, I'm just joking. Um, so where did I get that from? Let's put it this way. When you go into enough businesses as an employee or as an entrepreneur and you want to change things, you realize that you're calling and make them better. So yeah, it started in my, honestly, it started in my teens. I went in, I was one of those young whippersnappers, as they would call it. And every time I'd go in, they'd ask me to do one thing. And I'd be like, but we can do it better this way. And they just kept going. That's where it started. So you, but they called you a business transformer when you were a kid? No way. No, I didn't know what it was called. <laughs> no. They didn't call me that. I think they came up with the actual title in my 30s when I got confident about the change work I was doing. Because I think the word transformation is a big word. I don't think we take that lightly, right? Well, yeah. So what industry were you in your 30s? Like, give us the rundown, right? Oh, You're the yeah. kid. You want a, a whole background. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll go back to go forward. So in my teens, I went into businesses. Uh, I went into a John Deere company. I went into a pharmacy. I went into a data entry for a healthcare company. And every time I went in, I would look at their tech, their process, their people, while they're asking me to do some very low level work and make suggestions. So then in my 20s through college, I went into my campus services that ran all of the services at my college. And they brought me in for one job and I pretty much reshaped how they ran their services across the campus from food to student services, halls, venues, and pretty much overhauled it so much that 
both me and my boss were let go because I basically eliminated the need for us. So that was in my college age. And then during college, during summers, I went to a big bank that's now national and on football stadiums and went in as a quality assurance person. And I looked at systems around a 250 person division and I reshaped how they collected revenue and tax money on certain products and how they operated and overhauled that. And that was just as an intern. And then I went into finance and because I wanted to make sure I knew the numbers and I was independent and financially very literate. So I did that for a while and then joined bigger finance businesses and again started overhauling and transforming. So then when the latest business I was a part of got acquired for a very high valuation, I decided that was it and went to two more firms, a tax firm, an insurance firm, and then I basically hung my shingle. Hung your shingle? Hung my shingle and said, I'm out for business. I'm fractional, which now is a common term, but back then it didn't exist and said, I'm like a chief operations officer and I will come in, look at your systems, people's process and transform them so you can grow and scale and enjoy what you're doing. Help more people. And that so was a long time ago. I feel like I should ask you how long ago, but I'm going to let oh. that one go. Yes. So go. tell me, do you see that most CEOs don't actually like the companies that they founded? Like they feel trapped and struggling and suffocating, struggling to find air? Yes. Struggling and suffocating to find air and wondering if they made the right move. Yes. So why doesn't social media reflect that? Because everybody on social media has exotic cars, private flights, and huge mansions. Well, I think we only see what we want to see. And I also think that for every one executive on social media, there's thousands that are not happy that you don't see. Listen, the fact is we only put the fun things on social media most of the time, right? I like real, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is why it can be really depressing. So don't look. It's hard. It's hard to run a business. It's hard to be that. Guys and women that are those execs and they're flying all around, they're part of a scalable business already. Oh. Yeah. They're part of the fact that they can get on a plane and do maybe something they enjoy doing, that they're getting to read their favorite book. Oh, that's awesome. I don't want anybody else for reading a book. That's a feat when you run a business. You're pretty tired. You're pretty done. So, yeah, they've already made it through the one you might call the dangerous middle. Of growth. You you dropped the word in there, and I'm not sure that all the listeners know what it means. You said scalable. What is a scalable business? It's a business that naturally grows without a lot of friction and a lot of you as the owner or leader entrepreneur. Dan Sullivan calls it self-managing company. You got the gazelles that they call it scaling up, right? So there's a lot of terms out there. I'm sure others, Wickman and others have terms for it. But it's the idea that you're growing a little bit more effortlessly. It's a word. It is a word. Thank you. It is a word. And so no more muscling it. No more just iron will. This is systems and processes. And you actually have a business that it truly is an entity of its own instead of an extension of the founder. That's right. That's right. And when you look at your responsibilities, either as a founder, exec leader, and those of the team, 
yours don't look as hefty. It's a little bit more defined. And the more you scale, the less you're responsible for, right? The more you can like really get into the groove of what you're passionate about versus what you needed to do. When we work with businesses, especially that kind of core team that's helping the business grow, they're doing things that are outside their passion lines, right? They're doing things to fill the gap, whether it's capacity, whether they have the skills. A scalable business, people are running in their passion lanes much more often than not. Passion's a, a very interesting word. I, I find a lot of people telling founders not to follow their passion or chase their passion. It's all hocus pocus and they just need to figure out what makes money. You drop it in. So you got to tell us, is that farce or finding a passion and following passion a real thing? It's a real thing. Listen, your passion may not pay a lot of money, though. You've got to accept that. You have to accept that there are limitations, monetary limitations. But if you love what you do and you helps you get out of bed every day. I, I don't know. I, I say absolutely. On that note, I'm also very financially literate. You've got to make enough of a living to not have food insecurity, financial insecurity. So there is a happy medium on that. But yeah, no, you. I think it's pretty, listen, at the beginning of the gate and making money, yeah, you, you can forgo the passion for a little while, but at some point that's going to really that's going to sneak up on you and you're not going to be happy. And by the way, that's called burnout or it can cause burnout. It absolutely causes burnout. It's funny. I heard somebody talk about stress and stress when it's your passion is just part of the process. It's that's exciting. Right. It's part of the journey. But stress when you don't like what you're doing leads to absolute 100% burnout, fatigue, exhaustion, and all the other words. So, all right, you, but you're helping if I understand this correctly, for founders who are in their passion, they're actually doing the things that they're supposed to be doing, but they know that it's not running smooth. They've got a lot of friction. You're helping to remove that friction through your transforming process. And by the way, we didn't actually talk about your shingle. What's the name of your shingle? <laughs> Is there a sign underneath the shingle? What's going yeah, on let's be that? fair. Okay, so my shingle started off as Jen Goldman Consulting, really creative there. Then in year one, I went to my virtual COO and everybody thought I was a bird because this was a long time ago. People didn't know what COO stood for. And then when I realigned the whole business, I have to think now, six years ago, I went back to my name to realign and now I'm back as my virtual COO. And I wanted to share that because as we evolve as business owners and entrepreneurs, things shift and we have to try to go with the flow as gracefully as possible. Yes. So it's my virtual CEO and you show up, right? And so just in our framework, we got ex eight exits of a founder and yeah. the first exit is from corporate America to being chief everything officer. That person's not your client because they're still figuring everything out. The next level is when they become basically a production manager. And that person is managing the folks who are doing the work. They're probably not your client. The next level is when they become a thought leader and they're managing business lines and they've got managers of the frontline folks. They might be your client, but the person who's probably your client and who is CEO 2.0, and this person truly is a chief executive officer, they probably have an operating officer or a operator who's responsible for the day to day. And mm -hmm. I think those people are the ones 
or the ones who are getting ready to take that step are the ones that you guys can help the most. Am I right in that? That is the perfect candidate to work with us. Yes. And that operator, integrator, doesn't have the experience yet. They have the passion for it. They have the energy for it. They don't have the chops yet. Mm. Mm. And so what do you see as being the biggest things that was signal to somebody? Because we all think when we hire somebody that we got the right person in the job. But what are the things that let you know immediately that, hey, they might have hired a glorified executive assistant mm -hmm. or they hired somebody who was good at a job but wasn't ready to be responsible for all people and processes? What, what are those things that are telltale signs that they should get some help? Yeah, there's signs and then there's just flat out they tell you. So <laughs> if they're telling me, then we don't have to guess. But the signs, when you ask them to think strategically, they fall short. Um, when you say, you know what, this area of the business is just, it's clunky, it's bottlenecking, right? And they can't even ideate anything to problem solve. When they're coming to you for every step of every process to ask you, what do you think? What would you like? Then they may not have what it takes. The person that is an operator or an integrator in essence, has to take risks and ask for forgiveness later. Now, they're not big risks. They're not costly risks, but they're still risks. They have to go out and research things. They have to be able to present ideas in a way that's selling the founders, leaders on the idea. So they have to have a little bit of that energy and that selling ability. So if they don't have it or they don't gravitate toward thinking through things, being strategic, critical thinking, then they may never have it. But it's worth giving them a shot, right? You got to try it a different way. Because what we've learned is uh, people learn differently too. So when you have a business that's growing, the leaders train others verbally most mm -hmm. often. Now that's changing, thank goodness. But the fact is that more than 65% of people are visual learners. So they don't actually learn by you talking as much as you think that they do, right? So maybe teaching them a different way then they might be turned into the integrator you want them to be. Maybe giving them the tools that they never knew existed because you've never used them as a leader, that also might, might get them to where they are. So there's a developmental component. Have you ever seen an operator walk in and be everything that they need to be and ready for that job? No. And so there's an expectation that there's going to be some navigating some ebbs and flows. But have you ever walked into one of the companies you've been serving? It's like, I don't know how this person got here, but we need to get them out of this job as soon as possible. <laughs> don't be so mean. Yes. But, or and, they know this deep down inside. They you, being the founder. They being the person in the role of an integrator or an ops person. They know something's not right. Not because somebody said it to them, because they're not comfortable and they're not able to grasp. And so when they're not... And I suspect that person probably is scared to say, I'm not in the right spot. But is that leadership? Is that truly who you want running your company? I, I don't know that. It's true. Now, there is such a thing as imposter syndrome that many people suffer from. And so there may be... They're going to find me out. But this is different than that, right? This isn't 
questioning whether or not you're successful. This is knowing that you're a fish out of water. That's correct. That's correct. You don't enjoy it. It's stressful. There's a lot of challenges. Now, if they are not going to report that there's an issue, then mm. who does the job of figuring out that there's an issue lie on? Someone like us. And then it's the navigation of how loyal are the founders or leaders are to that person. Mm. Do we have to recalibrate them to something else that fits them? But maybe they're doing less and paid more than they should be. But that's what makes the leaders and comfortable. Maybe it's good for the culture or it's time to go. We build a plan for exit. Wow. That's got to be a difficult conversation to have with the founder. Like, is there a way that you warm them up or is it just, here it is, buddy? They already know. They know deep down, but they want somebody to validate it with a little bit more data and a little bit more experience than they've had and somebody who's not emotionally attached. They already know. So they know but they're loyal. Yes. So what do you do in that situation? I tell them stories. Oh. Yeah. Right? And stories of other businesses and what they've done and then let them decide because their gut, our second brain, will absolutely tell them what's going to sit well with them. So I may tell them a story of a firm that was double paying somebody, basically overpaying them 2x, but they should for what they couldn't do. And the exit strategy was a year and a half with the person buying into it and saying, okay, I'm planning ahead for retirement early. Or another one was getting the C-suite on the call and basically with the COO pointing out of all the major initiatives at the company, this was like 12 offices. It was a pretty big gig. And, and the person basically saying, you know what? This is not for me. This is the list. This is everything on the list in front of the entire C-suite. Circle of trust, right? It's very rare that we actually have to come flat out and tell a leader or an owner and then be surprised. It's very rare. <laughs> they just want the plan. See, they know what needs where it needs to end up, but it's, I don't think that's where they struggle. They struggle with how to get there in a good way for their culture, their clients, their internal, the workload. They just need a plan of extraction, of course. Good at that. Okay. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, AKA the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. I don't know. She's not saying she's the hack shit woman, ladies no. and gentlemen. Gosh, no, because we're in it for the businesses to grow and to compensate better and the employees have a better life and then the consumers that they're helping. Right? No, we're at quite the opposite. But there's a point when you have to call it. Yeah. Well, and I think people are probably the thing that's going to have the biggest impact Absolutely. on the trajectory of the business, right? Yeah. So, all right, we go in, we see the folks. 
do you look at the folks first? You look at the processes first? Like, give me an idea of how, like, Jen coming in and being a business transformer. And it's not Jen. It's my virtual CEO. It's not like you run the business by yourself. You've got staff. You've got all kinds of support that the team comes in and helps folks. But they're executing your process, right? This is your IP. You basically wrote the book on how this stuff gets done from an outside perspective. So, like, how does it work? How does your process, how do you come in? Is it people first? Is it processes? Is it founder's mindset? Help me out here. Yeah. Well, it might change, but for now, we actually do a little bit of each of those every call for the first month. So we'll do a little bit on the tech map if we feel that they're edgy in, because that's the least confrontational. Then we'll do an organizational design. And then for the first time, they're seeing their organizational structure with all their providers on it too. Because they wonder, well, like, how am I so busy? I don't have that many people that are W-2. Well, guess what? You also have like 15 outside providers you have to manage. From the person that's landscaping your front of your building to whatever. So we do the org design. We do a five-year growth projection. We call it a napkin style for engineers because they would pick this one apart. But it is actually dead on accurate. And it just says, okay, if you want to grow to X, how much more business would you need to bring in each year? And then we start talking about the impact on staffing and operations expenses. Um, So every one of these pieces, and we do a little process, we do an aspirations board. And this is all done visual, by the way. It's all in front of your eyes. So with doing it in front of your eyes, you can correct it. Your gut tells you things more quickly. And that's where we get the word transformation versus slower. By putting it in front of you, you more quickly process, react. We see that and we adjust accordingly. So we don't. And then for the people. So you, I don't want you to think we ignore the people. And we are working on this. We're evolving just like anyone else. We are doing more light assessments. We're trying to find a series of light assessments that are very inexpensive and also give us a flavor of the people. So one is like we do VARC. How do people learn and soak in information? Another one is maybe predictive index. We have another one for trust. What's the trust level among the team? Because when you go through changes, you got to trust each other and trust whoever's presenting the change. So we have all these different little assessments that get an idea of the team. That's month one. So you spend the month just looking around. When you come in, are you already looking for a specific thing based on the conversation with the founder that brought you in? Or is it the operator that's bringing you in and telling you, hey, we got these issues? Like, how do you know how to identify the problem? Well, sometimes it's the owner or owners. And sometimes it's the operator who actually even calls and say, could you convince my owner to hire you guys? <laughs> That's the, those are the best. Yeah. The hardest, but the best. Yeah. Whatever they say their problem is, though, I'm going to be honest with you. It's much deeper than that. You got to get to the source. But because everyone at the company is emotionally attached, whether it's financially, they're an employee or the owner and they're emotionally, this is my baby. They are really not going to say the source. So we try to keep our eyes wide open. Um, use our intuition and we just listen for what is the core source and then if they can bear it we will go right for that topic if they can't we'll go light and that's quick wins like oh well you know what you could improve this to give yourself more time and energy to then tackle the bigger issue so we just gauge what angle we're going to go at for presenting the, the issues that's so good Because I think so many folks, especially if they're outside, 
They want to go for the juggler. They want to go for the big juicy one. I used to tell the people when I gave blood, hey, that vein is deceptive. It's going to roll on you if you try to poke that one. This one down here, it's going to sit pretty for you and it's going to give you everything you need. And time after time, they would go and it would roll and then they want to go fishing in my skin. I'm like, no, I'm going to bruise. You got to get out of there. You missed. Try somewhere else. But you do that a few times as a consultant. You learn pretty quickly that that's not the way that you build trust deep in the relationship and get to a place where you truly are the advisor. Because even if they hired you without some success with the guidance that you gave them, I don't think they actually see you as an advisor to them. No, because then you're impersonal. You're not hearing them. And you've got to hear them and what they can bear. It would be like somebody coming into my business or anyone's and saying, almost like you did this wrong. Wait a minute, I'm here. I created this business. I'm able to afford you. I didn't do it something wrong. Maybe I made some missteps. But don't come in and tell me I did everything wrong. Because that's what you hear as the owner, right? It, and it's, some might say it's an ego. I think it's pride. I'm going to go with pride first, okay? We don't work with people that are just driven by ego because they can't hear. We want people that are proud of what they're doing, who they're doing it for, and how they're doing it might need a tune-up, okay? Yeah, you can't do that. Now, there, don't get me wrong. There are certain times in the engagement when I'm like, okay, enough, we're going to put the big elephant in the room. Like we've danced around this enough. We fixed all these little things and this and that, and we've taught your team to step it up, but now it's your turn as the leader or the operator. But you got to pick the right time. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to go here because I think it, it, we would do the listeners a disservice if we did. So they hire you, they bring you in. And they got all the answers, right? They went on WebMD and they found out what disease they have. And they're coming to the doctor and saying, hey, I got cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. And you better operate tomorrow or it's all over. How do you wade through all of the, I call the muckety muck, the mud, and actually get to a place where you find something solid that you can begin to build strategy off of. I think that's where the Ken Zens or the quick wins come in. We're going to test their appetite for change, but in a small way. And that actually tells us the sequence of the following improvements, to be fair. Today, great example, just got off of a call. And been with the business for three months, looking at things, assessing, talking, couple quick wins. And I, you know what? And the point we had to have this discussion of, okay, this is the sequence. Can you bear it? Can you do it? And we'll see. Can you do it? Can you do it? Are you up for this? Is this what you really want? It's Can a tough question. It? It's a tough question because you don't know. I'm asking somebody who doesn't really know what they're saying yes to, right? And again, I, I do think, okay, the trust factor and all that, you have to earn it. You have to earn it. Credibility. So we have people believe that we have the experience when we start, right? That's credibility, but now we have to earn it. And the earning is in the quick wins. The earning is the listening. The earning, I'll tell you where it is too. We write out all the major initiatives and improvements and they see that if they want to see it. Let's be clear. <laughs> right? 
We write it so they know we heard them. I think that right there sets the table for trust. And and they heard us. They know how we operate. So their recommendations are customized to us. I think once you get there, you're good. I mean, it's hard work now, right? We're implementing a lot more faster, but they're game because they can, they know that we've got them. We understand them. So you are passionate about this. Yeah. How'd you get passionate about it? Really? Do we need to? We do. I know we do. We do. Why did I get passionate about it? It wasn't, my parents weren't, I think about my upbringing. They weren't entrepreneurs per se. Well, that's not fair. They were on the side of their day jobs. I see too many people not, and have seen too many people not really happy in their jobs. Um, And maybe it was being in finance too and sitting in front of people and then feeling like they were out of control, like they weren't in control of their own destiny. And that's a really helpless feeling sometimes. So being an entrepreneur, starting a business, so for the leaders, right, the founders, giving them back that ownership and that pride because they're burning out, right? They're struggling. They can't breathe. They want to grow it. They want it to be a self-managing company so they can start to extract themselves. I wanted to give that back to them because I've seen it when it is like that. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And yeah, I do get a little dopamine and endorphins from this. There's no, as I joke, I'm an ex-athlete. I can't get them from doing athletics. So this is my kicker. So it's really that kind of like financial freedom, that financial independence, and also then giving it to your employees, right? Giving them that value. Listen, they're spending eight, nine, 10 hours a day or more living in your company. And you want them to feel that buzz. There's certain days when it's not great. I'm not going to kid you, right? But most days you want them to feel that buzz. And you also want them to not be worrying because the worry, and that's maybe where this comes from. Thank you for delving deep. Seeing family members worry about money, getting paid. That's a horrible feeling. That uh, financial insecurity is a terrible feeling and it causes health problems. It causes burnout and all that. So it wasn't just enough for me to see the entrepreneurs feel better again, but then to have their employees feel good about where they were, which then feeds the employer to all new heights of just, wow. I don't know. I just, I love it. Yeah, I think it came from financial insecurity, being around too many people that were. That part is terrifying, I think, for most people, especially when you come into the fourth quarter of each year and people didn't make the decisions they needed to make earlier in the year. And so the only way that they can get their business back in line is start cutting salaries, right? We've had a couple of companies that have called us in the last couple of years like that. And it was the hardest calls to do. They were so upset about it. They felt horrible. They felt they failed their people, which then they internalized to themselves, right? Just terrible. I don't want to hear those stories, to be honest with you. It's too much pain. Old. I think it gets old. And we think we're helping by staying there and pushing people to continue to do the same thing over and over again. But I'm not convinced that actually ends up being the answer ever. It wasn't the over and over again, the definition of insanity. I was just talking about that last night. My husband, yes, let's not repeat. But how do you get out of that wheel? I used to do when I used to 
do bigger speaking engagements, right? I always use the mouse and the wheel literally on the stage when people be walking into the venue and seeing the mouse and the wheel. Like, yeah, we got to get you out of there. <laughs> well, so many founders believe that it is that and it's always going to be that. But it, you're saying it doesn't have to be. No, no, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It is when you don't want to shake it up a little. When you don't want to change, you're going to sit on that wheel. You're going to sit on that wheel. Now, there's um, plenty of people out there who are probably still skeptical. Can we talk about one of the transformations you're most proud of where somebody just was hopeless and this was a last dish resort before they just hung up the fact that they were in business for themselves? Does it count if we use something where they were like the second generation leader of the business? Is that good? Okay. Because that's happening a lot too, right? More and more businesses are transitioning and they're more and more going to transition. For it's, sure. That's exactly right. We're in a huge glut of that happening. So yeah, the leader was just flat out against the wall, burnt out really badly. This happened to be in the health space, which is so important because what the work that they were doing was literally going to save lives and indirectly and just didn't know what to do first, second and third and almost was going to hang up and just go work for somebody else. Brilliant mind, empathic leader, which is pretty rare. And you know, why am I proud of that? <laughs> I'm proud of that because, well, first of all, the businesses rebound. I mean, we were talking about cash flow problems, no profitability, people in the wrong seats, lack of accountability, big time, so many different things. And within a year, it's amazing to say this now that I'm saying it, a year and a half, you've got accountability, you've got the people in the right seats, you've got the managers. There wasn't much management going on. Systems locked into place with processes, new branding. So very proud out into the public space about what they really stand for, what they're about. It's a lot. Off-boarded, I don't know. There was around 50 people, give or take. So there was about six or seven shifts out the door, which is a lot in the middle management and higher level, and doubled their valuation. Oh, my God. Wait. We didn't How even expect the, that part. We didn't even, we didn't even expect it. Double. Double their valuation. So uh, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Okay. Because <laughs> the person is getting ready to lose the business that one of their parents handed down to them. They built from nothing. How did they even get the wherewithal to say, I am not profitable, but I'm going to invest in my business anyway? That's a great question. Passion. I'm going to make this work. Like I will not give up without a fight. Yeah. Because knowing deep down that for the most part, they had the right people. They had for the most part, right? And for the most part, they had the ability to make a very good living for the execs and the employees. Their mission, their purpose, all that was great. It was all great. So it was pretty hard. And to be frank, it's not like they had run through multiple consultants. Now, that is not always the case. 
what usually when businesses reach out to us, they might have worked with a coach, but not a consultant, meaning somebody's going to roll up their sleeves, live a little bit in their worlds, right? And then try to lead by example, fix and do and train. Yeah, I just, I think that was this, I'd like to think that was a last ditch effort. Wow. That takes some strength and some courage. But what this goes to show is when you bet big with the right team, you can get an outcome that you didn't even see coming. I think they would have been glad just to keep the business going, keep the cash flow, keep the checks rolling. But this is a life-changing event. So that's a leader that's willing to take a risk though too, right? Yeah. Okay. One of the things I think that happens with founders, not, not as much second gen. So this is a second gen that came in and that's, and then not even, by the way, it wasn't even family, just to be clear. The second gen was just literally somebody appointed to be president. Um, Wow. But usually they don't have as much risk as the founder, right? The founder has more of the risk um, and has always had that. So to find a second gen that is willing to take some risks and live by them, maybe that's the point. That's why it was possible. And that's why it happened. I love it. I love it. Somebody else might have just given it it up. Yeah. All right, y'all. Like we, We gave you everything. We gave you why she is doing this, the passion behind it. We've given you the success story of the business doubling the valuation. We've given you a little peek into the process and how they come in and build trust with you before they say, all right, here's the real thing you got to take in order to take this thing to the next level. And we've even gone into the track record that led to a place where this process of having a fractional COO has been created and developed. So as we wrap up, Jen, the final question, the one I try to ask at the end of every episode is, What's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode if they don't remember anything else? If the listener is somebody running a business, give it as much as you can without burning out. Please don't burn out. And remember, most importantly, that your people are your most important part of business. It's the one thing you can take away is if they're your raving fans, you got this. You can do it. How can the listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about my virtual COO? Just Google my virtual COO. We come up number one. So How far. is that possible? Oh, no. Oh, no. And it's all great. I'm grateful. I'm just grateful. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from Jen herself. Do the work. There's no substitute for the work. But make sure you don't push yourself to the place where you burn yourself out. But remember, you can't burn yourself out if you're working in your passion. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.